mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world, this is the Gravity Bros Podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Alec Hester, and I am joined on this Gravity Falls Rewatch Podcast by my brother Lucas. But for all, for all anyone knows, we're just a bunch of gnomes in a sweatshirt. Yep, that's me, Schmerlock, Schmebulock. Schmebulock, which I think is one of the most underrated characters, or overrated, depending on who you ask, within the Gravity Falls universe. For those of you meeting us for the very first time, uh, we are the hosts of the YouTube channel, Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater, and we're diving into our very first podcast adventure uh, by rewatching one of our absolute favorite cartoons of all time, which happens to be Disney's Gravity Falls, created by the great Alex Hirsch. So we're going to go one episode at a time, starting with the very first episode of the Gravity Falls catalog, which we will be talking about today. That is Tourist Trapped. Woot! I was on a road trip through Ashland recently, and I remember, uh, you know, this is loosely based on uh, some places in Oregon, but there is a place, and I know that we talked about it being uh, in near Boring, Oregon, but there's actually a place near Ashland called the Mystery House, that looks way more specifically related to this. And I think that that's actually the one that this is based off of near Ashland. Whoa. Okay. So I will say that I have not done the proper research to tell you if the mystery shack is based off any very particular location. But if um, it was, but- if the mystery house in Oregon probably would be it, right? Yes. And, well, and the one that you were alluding to in Boring, Oregon is one that uh, you and I visited when I came to see you. Yeah. Um, and that was like a Bigfoot museum, basically. And it mm-hmm. really did feel very mystery shackish, also. Yeah. But definitely. shoot, the mystery house. All right, man. I'm ready to check that yeah. out one day. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> next episode, I'll, I'll do more research, bring you something. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So. If you're listening to this right now, I would assume that you're already a pretty big fan of Gravity Falls. Uh, It's possible that you're somebody who is watching it for the very first time, which is super exciting. This podcast is for everybody. It's going to be a spoiler-free rewatch. Yeah. Just so that, uh, you know, anybody who's never seen it before can really hop on this train for the first time. And those of you who have watched once can sort of re-experience it all over again. When I listen to rewatch podcasts, that's the thing that is the most fun for me to do. You know, with that said, you may have seen this show before. This is only the second time that Lucas and I are watching it all the way through. A little backstory, you came to me with this cartoon Mm -hmm. and said, Alec, this is a show that I think that you would absolutely love. I I will say that I loved cartoons so much as a kid, like every cartoon, the classics, whatever was on at the time. I wanted to know about all of it. And I sort of fell off the wagon a little bit as I got into adulthood and I sort of didn't realize that there were so many great gems of modern animation history. Like, I guess once I became an adult, I sort of started overlooking what was coming out at the time. And Lucas came to me with Gravity Falls, and I completely fell in love with modern animation all over again, starting with this show. So it's got this common bonding agent, I think, between Lucas and I that makes it especially fun to talk about. And part of that is as content creators, it was fun to bridge the gap of the different experiences we had in animation. Because as much as I did enjoy the old animation and the stuff that we grew up on, I'm three years younger than Alec. And I was very much enamored with Avatar The Last Airbender, and which to me is a turning point in animation history in the West. 
and uh, in the West as opposed to Eastern culture hemispheres I'm referring to. Um, but yeah, I, I love Adventure Time is my favorite show of all time. Um, and, and the shows like Gravity Falls and um, Steven Universe, regular show Rick and Morty and a lot of the offshoots that kind of came from that like subgenre of animation. I am a huge fan of and know a lot about and anime as well. So yeah, Gravity Falls was the show that I told Alec, like, you gotta, you gotta see this. It's Disney. Alec loves Disney. Um, and I thought that it would be a great thing for us to bond over. And uh, well, you will all see how much bonding is going to be happening between these yeah. gravity bros. All right. So I'll figure something... how many times I can work that into this episode. Sorry. Go ahead. So something that is fun about this is that you and I are, of course, siblings and Dipper and Mabel, the main characters of Gravity Falls, are siblings on this summer camp adventure. And I don't know about you, but when I watched the show for the first time, I got brought right back into us as kids having these wild imagination-fueled adventures, some of which were grounded in reality and maybe some which weren't. We got to grow up in Colorado and then a little bit spent a little bit of time in California, but still very much this woodsy, uh, fun, I would even say mysterious vibe. You know, th- those mountain towns, they have that feel to them. And now you, of course, are in Oregon. I'm in a completely different place in Florida, but... I still think that this show connects to those experiences that you and I have had and the places that we've lived in kind of a unique way. Um, And I really do see myself in Dipper and Mabel a lot, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I I mean, I see our relationship in Dipper and Mabel in terms of a physical, I didn't love, I don't know when I was in Colorado, I was in middle school and everything sucks when you're in middle school. So I don't know if I think of it the same way, but, but other than that, I totally agree. I think the personability, in the relationship dynamic, which is also phenomenally written between Dipper and Mabel, is uh, definitely something that I, I like thinking about us for. Yeah, well, and I think that this childhood experience that they have is very relatable to a lot of adults. Something that we talk about on our YouTube channel a lot is that there is kind of a stereotype that cartoons that are not exclusively made for adults are only for kids, and we really push back a lot against that. This show in particular had a New York Times article written about why this is a show that every single person should be watching, whether you're a kid or an adult. And I really feel like it is one that bridges these gaps because it brings people back to a very nostalgic place no matter what. And it's just so well written that the humor comes through regardless. You know, this very first episode, which we will start walking through in a bit, made me laugh so many times. And sitting through it, I was like, oh, I remember when Lucas told me to watch this and I watched it for the first time and I was so pleasantly surprised by it. Um, And it's interesting because maybe some people watch this first episode, they're like, okay, it's not bad. I would definitely encourage you to stick with it because it just gets so good. And I'm not saying that the first episode is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, I I think there's moments that shine through that tell you it's going to be great. But I'd say that the themes maybe are not going to win over a random adult watching. They could probably win over any kid. What do at you think first, about that? At first. And yeah, I was going to say this is a good time to transition into talking about the episode proper a little bit. And what this is, is it reminds me of a standard Disney Channel first episode of a show. And that's not necessarily a glowing review. Not that they're bad, but it's it's like what you said, you know, when you expect, especially from this era before animation had a little bit more of a precedent with challenging its typical audience type. You know, when Disney Channel started a new show, it probably had to play it pretty safe. Um, 
because you know it's placating to an extremely general audience of multinational multicultural children so it's very difficult to to you know do anything risky with that and for what it's worth you know gravity falls and alex hirsch and this show does a lot with the limitations that i imagine they had to work with being with disney and when i say that it's a starting episode for a disney channel show i don't mean it's bad because they still do a really good job with it it still gives you a ton of personality with Maber and Dipple. It still gives you a ton of the, you know, Gravity Falls vibe that, you know, the, the mystery vibe that we're going to be experiencing throughout the rest of the show. It sets a pretty good foundation, generally speaking, before we, you know, transition into the actual events of the episode. You were making such a good point, and you still made a great point, but you called them Maper and Dipple. Oh, I think you might have misheard. That might have been an audio no. thing. I, I can't wait to listen back. I, I'll cut it if I'm wrong, but I'm so sure that that's exactly okay. what you said. Amazing, amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, you you are totally like 100% right. Um, I, I think that and we, we will definitely get into how Alex Hirsch feels about how Disney curbed his ability to do certain things on this series. Oh, um, I want to know more. I don't know anything about that. I'd love to learn more about that. That sounds very yeah. interesting. Bring me more so, of that info in our future episodes. And you do feel it get edgier. This is a common theme with certain cartoons where in the very beginning, the networks are very concerned with making sure that whatever they put on the air is going to be acceptable for the kiddies. Or for yes. their parents more so, honestly. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's more about not hearing complaints and making sure that their network is able to continue selling commercials and nobody is mad about that, right? Exactly. Uh, and look, there's so much nuance to that. Lucas and I both have social science degrees, so that's the kind of thing that we could pick through for an hour. Um, yeah. And maybe over the course of time, we will. I yeah. will say, I couldn't say this before for like the first year that we did Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater. But I'm actually a former cast member of the Walt Disney Company. I'm okay saying that now. Lucas is shocked because I've never said it on the show. Yeah, the um, look on my face was literally shock because I just remembered that Alec has a new job now and that he can say it finally. And I'm like, oh! Yeah, and it's I could say it before technically, but I always had to make a caveat that, you know, this is a take that is represented by me and it is not reflected by the Walt Disney Company as a whole. And uh, for what it's worth, I actually personally have very good things to say about my time at Disney. I think that Alex Hirsch's experience, he was never like actually an employee of the company, I don't think. Like he was essentially contracted to help him with the series. I might yeah. be wrong about that, but I think that's how that works. And there's definitely like mixed results depending on where people have been within the company that might be more favorable or less favorable. Um, but I think that the freedom of creators to do things is not a complaint that's unique to Disney, I will say. Definitely. You know, I mean, that's just, you got to do something amazing before you have freedom as an artist in society, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, we talked about a show once, Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts on Netflix, which I think is excellent. And we're yeah. like, wow, Netflix let them do so much. I was shocked by how much they were allowed to do under the TVY7 rating. And the creator actually uh, responded to an Instagram video that we had posted where mm -hmm. we were saying, wow, it's amazing. They could do all these things. And he said, after we filmed this, they told us to never make a show like this again. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, man, that's Netflix. That's a streaming service where you feel like maybe there's more creative freedom because there's such a wide audience base. Can you hear me? Sorry for the interruption, but I'm in desperate need of your help. There is something coming. Something I can only assume is big. 
but I need your help figuring out exactly what. All I have is this notebook that I found in the woods. It seems to have been left behind by two brothers, but nothing in here makes sense. It's all gibberish. I'm out of time now, but I'll be back next week to give you more information. Listen for me. I'm counting on you. But Lucas, let's get into this episode proper a little bit. The very first one. Now, I should say there is a actual pilot episode of Gravity Falls that was created before the series as a selling point uh, for a I, while. I know this is news to you. Yes, it is. Um, so at first it was never released and Alex Hirsch did not want it released. But after the series had completed, it did air. So that pilot exists. We are not starting with that. We are going to start with the canonical order of the series. But I would say that I'd be interested at some point in visiting that pilot episode. And you and I can watch it for the first time together, maybe. I think that would be fun. I'd love to. I didn't know it existed. I'd love to check it out. Adventure Time has one of those two, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I, I imagine it's very different. Um, but oh, what yeah. we see this time is the finished product with where they were going for the full two-season arc of Gravity Falls. So let's talk about the setup here. I think the show starts off in a super engaging way. We get a bit of a flash forward into the future, and we see Dipper and Mabel, our main characters, the siblings of the season, and they're being chased by this big, large creature. And we get a narration from Dipper about the kind of adventure that they have sort of gotten themselves in, and the origin of them leaving for summer camp. I kind of really like this creative choice, because we're going to flash back to the present moment, and we get the true fresh start where nothing exciting has happened yet. They've just gotten to the summer camp. But by leading us in the way that they did, they're like, hey, stick around, because where we are about to go, it's going to be wild. I think it's also worth noting that the theme song for this, potentially one of the greatest modern cartoon theme songs of all time. Like, so, the music is great. The animation that they give you and the teasing that they give you is great. It has so much like flavor to it in terms of animation and sound. And I know you have more to talk about it, so I won't go into more than that, but like, I love the music and they just give you such a creative and fun world with the animation that they deliver to you at the beginning. It's stellar. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, let's gush about it for a bit because this is the first episode. We are never going to have more time than right now to be talking about the theme song, the intro, because it means more than ever on the very first episode of a series, right? That's the case for any theme song. Yeah, so definitely. You, you see this intro, you're like, whoa, they're getting chased by something. This is crazy. You get this really mysterious, fun theme song with a lot of really interesting art that gives you this, this air of mystery right away. And I believe that as you pick through the theme song, there's lots of little Easter eggs that can be found too. I just Definitely. think it's super fun. Um, Which we won't spoil yet. We'll talk more about that as, as we go on through our series because we're trying to trying to keep it keep it safe for anyone who's watching it through for the first time with us. Thanks for being yes, here. Definitely. But I agree. I just love the vibe. What can you say more about a theme song? That it gives you the atmosphere of the show, right? It yeah. makes you feel like you're there with them. And... It doesn't have any lyrics. You don't need them. It's just yep. the, the music itself. So totally, totally co-signed. I think the theme song is terrific. So intro's done. Theme song's done. We're with the characters. We meet Mabel, super positive. Grunkle Stan, he's a prankster and a yep. little bit weird. And then we're at the Mystery Shack where Grunkle Stan cons tourists. 
As far as we know at this point of the series, it's all fake. Every part of Gravity Falls is just a tourist trap, right? Hence the title of the episode. Yes. So I want to talk about the end of this episode because to me, the ending is what makes it the most fascinating. So, but before I get, cause, cause Grunkle Stan, what Alec just said about Grunkle Stan is a part of what we learn about him. And throughout most of this episode, it, it would read as, like I said before, a very normal intro to a Disney cartoon, except for the ending. Now, before we get to that, we do get introduced to a little bit of a metaphysical element with the introduction of the book. So Dipper finds this book in a tree and it has all of this information about all of these paranormal things that go on in Gravity Falls that Dipper kind of seems to have been noticing and feels like it's weird that other people aren't noticing. Does that all sound pretty accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, And that's kind of like the main thing is Dipper finding this very mysterious book. But then we've got the kind of side story and maybe they're both main stories in a way, but we've got Mabel who's trying to find her epic summer romance. And we see some of her tactics as how she's going to flirt with all of these guys to get somebody, which how Mm -hmm. would you grade Mabel's skills as far as being able to uh, flirt with these eligible bachelors? Now they make it look like it would be bad, right? But let's be honest, if a cute girl walked up to a guy, yeah, anyone, I'm just going to say men are desperate. I think that's a fair statement, right? I feel like if most (laughs) women at that age walked up to a guy and flirted with them, I think it'd probably work regardless of what they did. So I'm going to give her a 10 out of 10. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Uh, So, But of course, Dipper has found this book that makes him very cautious because what this book shows him is... Tons of mysteries and creatures that have been found in this town of Gravity Falls, Oregon, by a mysterious person who Mm -hmm. he knows is a man based on context within the book. He's known as the author, because that's all we know about him. Yes, exactly. Mabel finally finds a suitor, and because (laughs) of this book that Dipper has found... (laughs) Why would you say a suitor? Why? Is that super old school? A suitor. Oh my god. It sounds like, I don't know if it's like a marriage. I don't know what suitor no. implies. This is a That's, fairly normal thing. I, I mean, pff, I don't know. I never heard. A suitor. Hmm. Yes, yes, an eligible suitor. Like, you know. That's, yeah, like like he's going to get a suit for her. No, 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 like he is a good fit. Come on, that was a good joke. It's a good All fitted right. suit. <laughs> All right, sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Dipper thinks this guy is a vampire because it's no, a zombie. So. He thinks he's a zombie, you fool. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I apologize. Jesus. I think I got vampire vibes over zombie, is why I like my head went to that first. It's because uh, he was the he was a darkly dressed teenager. That's that's more vampire on the books these days, I'd say. Sure. And I do have a copy of Journal 3 that was released after the show came out. And mm-hmm. I looked at the zombie ent- uh, entry, and it really does. Make it look like zombies are like a teenager in a sweatshirt. So I think that Dipper had very good reason to think that this was a possibility after finding this book. And that also, I'm not going to say that it's not a joke that hasn't been done before in the horror zombie movie genre. But like the idea that a teenager is a zombie because, you know, they wear black and they're all like sad and depressed and always staring into technology. It's pretty funny. It's a good joke. It's not a hard joke, but it's a good joke. It, It landed. 
I should mention that during the sequences, we do meet two characters, Wendy and Seuss, which are yes. side characters that work in the Mystery Shack. They're going to become more important in future episodes. We get some good moments from them in this one, uh, but yeah. they're not integrally important to the plot. The important part is that Dipper is going to crush on Wendy and it's going to be weird for two seasons and that Seuss is hilarious constantly. That's about all we need to know. We should call him Dr. Seuss. Okay. <laughs> he, he literally, from here on out, it's Dr. Seuss. Everybody know that's the nomenclature for this podcast. You're, you've been informed. He literally causes his wisdom like a blessing and a, cur- or, and a curse in this episode or something similar to that, right? Dr. Seuss yeah. is wise. So in my mind, they're basically the same. <laughs> there you go. He, he hasn't rhymed yet, but if we catch one, boy. I'm sure there's one that we could call him <laughs> Dr. Seuss for in this whole series. I'm going to look for it. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, but some of the wise advice that is coming from Seuss is that Dipper is really trying hard to prove that this boyfriend of Mabel's, whose name is Norman, must be a zombie, but Seuss is like, nah, man, you need evidence. Whether I believe you or not, you can't just accuse somebody of this. He's like, okay, that's a good point, so I gotta gather some evidence. And I would say that he finds some evidence that is kind of compelling. Do you think so? Also, yes, but I just love that that's even something that a kid's show would, like, encourage evidence. Go do research, learn things. That's all. That's my little side point. I'm a student of academics. We care. Look up. Fact check. Sorry. Tangent. Had a long day. Continue. Basically, he sees this zombie teenager guy, Norman. We'll just say Norman. Uh, His hand falls off in some footage that he finds when he's creeping around. Wouldn't you call it handage? Oof. Because it's not footage, because his hand fell in it. Oh! Okay, so Uh, normally I I say if you have to explain it, it's not good, but I actually appreciated that. If if I had gotten the timing perfect, I wouldn't have had to explain it. You'd have gotten it immediately. Everybody who's laughing, yes, you're correct. That was Yeah, the two two people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, anyway, you you totally advocated for doing research, but I don't know if you would advocate for stalking a couple that is having a good time and taking video footage of them, even if one of these people turns out to be a zombie. I feel like that's an invasion of privacy for his sister. Would you have done that to me when we were kids? That's not a good way to ask that question. (laughs) If asking if it should be done and asking if I would have done it to you as a child are two very different answers. Oh boy. All right. We're going to have to unpack who's more like Dipper and Mabel in a little bit. Now, the question is if I had stalked you, if it would have been out of a place of care or sheer enjoyment. And I'm Uh, not answering that question. Well, in Dipper's case, it was definitely care. And he realizes it's a little bit bit too late. A little bit of curiosity, also. I think a little bit of curiosity on his part was part of that decision. Because come on, you want to see a zombie, right? I mean, Dipper is wildly curious. It's one of his big character traits, and it's the reason that he falls so heartily in love with Journal 3 as soon as he gets it, and he becomes so immersed in the mysteries of this town. But in this particular case, he's a little bit late trying to save his sister. She has already gone off to the woods with Norman on some kind of a date. Before Dipper gets to the equation, we get the best reveal ever. Do you want to explain it? So... What I like about this is it gives us a setup where, you know, if this were a regular show, 
it probably, the guy would have been a zombie and Dipper would have been right and Mabel would have had to see past the error of her ways. But Dipper also would have had to have seen past the error of his way in some way as well, right? Yeah. We do get that resolution in the character respect, but the way that it comes about is not actually because Dipper was right and he was a zombie. Dipper was right and it wasn't a teenage boy, but instead of a zombie, they were a bunch of gnomes. Like, a whole bunch of, like, ten gnomes in an overcoat is what it was. Five gnomes. So, five no. excuse me. Um, obviously, I doubled doubled down on how many gnomes there were. So, I, I overshot. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so, th- there are more gnomes, we would also like to add, because there ends up becoming a quite a climax of the um, astronomic the- scales, I would say. <laughs> yes! Oh, um, dude, they deliver with the gnome puns. Let me just have a real quick tangent right here, okay? Yeah. Uh, I played a gnome in a Dungeons & Dragons campaign once, <laughs> a long-running one. My name was Chomsky. Chomsky the gnome. That's terrible. Uh, anyway, uh, all I did was tell gnome puns the whole time. I didn't know what I was doing. I felt bad for all the people who took it seriously. All um, I did was tell puns the whole time. Um, but anyway, we got some gnome puns here. I really appreciated the one that you just gave. Uh, it was pretty solid, um, actually. I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, so there's an amazing reveal where Norman is like, hey, just be cool, Mabel. And then suddenly it's five gnomes standing there. Uh, the main gnome, his name is Jeff. And we are going to need to remember Jeff for the future because he'll, I think it's safe to say he'll be a recurring character. And I'd say that Shmebulok is the other gnome of the five that you need to keep in mind for the series. Shmebulok is who I remembered. I didn't know there was one name. What'd you say, Greg? I already forgot their name. Jack? Jeff. Jeff? Okay, yeah. Jeff. Regular white dude name? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what Jeff is, basically, is just this uh, <laughs> this random bland leader who is trying to marry Mabel. And he thinks that she's just going to be okay with the fact that they're not actually a person. They're actually five gnomes. Well, and you know the funniest part about that to me was was like how they treated it like a real relationship reveal. Like the gnomes were like, okay, don't freak out. But, but we're we're a bunch of gnomes. I, I know that's a lot to process. Like they actually, <laughs> they actually, they say it as if it's a reasonable relationship thing to spring on somebody, you know? And, and I think that's really funny. Like I just... I don't know. I, that made me laugh. I don't. I'm not yeah. going to talk about the technical mastery of the joke because I don't know. But it made me laugh. I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, let me talk about the technical mastery of the reveal itself because, in yeah. my opinion, this was the moment when I watched this show for the very first time that I was surprised, and I realized that this show was a lot smarter than I realized it was going to be going in because. I was expecting it to be a zombie after all. And I was like, okay, this is the direction that we're going. But five gnomes, genuine surprise. There's a really cool moment where Dipper is sifting through Journal 3 earlier in the episode. And he's trying to show, oh my gosh, Norman's a zombie. He goes to the gnome page by mistake. So they do tease us with a picture of a gnome just to kind of like set the expectation that that could be a thing. Do you know what that also does though? What? That not only says that that was that particular thing was foreshadowed, but that clues the audience that there is a lot of foreshadow for the entire overarching plot of the story that starts from episode one. Totally. And, and a keen observer will be like, wait a minute, they were that clever to put foreshadowing from the very beginning of the episode to the end of the episode. Maybe there's foreshadow 
right now for the end of the series. And there is. We won't talk about it yet because it's spoilers. But just to let you know that that is the level of intellect going into the structure of the show. Now, I did not think... You said that this was the moment that you thought this would be a smarter show. This is the moment that I thought it was smarter than maybe an average you know, cartoon comedy, but that doesn't mean anything to me. That doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it or watch it. So when I saw that moment, I was like, okay, they went with something I really didn't expect. That's creative. Good job. But I wasn't won over yet. What won me over was kind of the the very, very, very ending. So we get a whole climax where obviously, you know, the, the gnomes try to kidnap Mabel and force her to marry them. And there's this big chase scene where all the gnomes turn into a giant transformer gnome. And it's an action scene. You can pretty much expect how it would play out for the most part. Mabel does something clever to defeat the gnomes. Skipper and Mabel have their little brother-sister. We learned the error of our ways, despite the fact that we're going to make the same mistakes a million times because we're kids. Thing. And then after that, as the episode is ending and it actually wraps up and we have our nice little, you know, lesson, we get a sort of end credit scene almost, which is before the credits, but it feels like an end credit scene. Yeah. You're right. This is the cliffhanger that tells the audience that this shoe, this shoe, this, this show shoe. is worth tuning in for, right? Because Grunkle Stan suddenly and mysteriously goes through a secret passage within the mystery shack. And that's all we get. That's all we get. That's it. We don't have any context beyond the fact that Grunkle Stan went somewhere. But the, all that does is tell us that there's something else going on. But that, I mean, how long could that scene have been? Three seconds? Four seconds? You know? Yep. It was barely any time at all. But that little scene made me think, I want to know what's happening now. Because that little tiny scene established that there is an important background plot going on that we need to learn about. And that was so huge to me because, you know, let's let's compare it to a show like Camp Laszlo, Spongebob, Fairly Odd, but you'd never see anything like that in any of those shows. You know, look at any of your favorite shows from the 90s, early 2000s. Did you like Rocket Power? Did you like Rugrats? Did you like Cow and Chicken, Angry Beavers? I'm just rattling off names here. Recess, Samurai Jack. Yes. The answer is yes, but for different reasons than you're saying. Exactly. My point is that I love a plot-driven show, and that was something that I always felt that the cartoon world was lacking in the West. I'd say that Samurai Jack was plot-driven to a degree, of all the ones that you listed. Very true. I was just giving random names that appeared off the top of my head. That's a very solid point. Samurai Jack's a great show if you've never seen it. Um, But the, the moral of the story was that this made me realize that this is something that I like I can't just watch it as brain confetti like I would those other shows. This is something I need to pay attention to. And when when it hooked my intellectual curiosity, that is what made this so much better than a regular first episode of any other Disney show or cartoon in general. Awesome. Meanwhile, I'm still sitting here thinking, "Oh, you thought the gnomes looked like a transformer. I thought it looked more like Santa Claus." It's not what they looked like. They they literally like built themselves up like a train. It was like an anime Transformers parody. Come on. Ho, 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 Lucas. Yeah. I'm a bunch of gnomes. Um, gnome, gnome, gnome. Oh my God. <laughs> I just think that that's an important take that we should not forget. Um, also, they got knocked out by a leaf blower. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's also pretty sad, but... It's yeah, fine. ultimately, w- the weakness was a leaf blower that yeah. you know that got alluded to earlier in the episode, and that was the also, mechanism that they defeated it with. Yeah, that's true. Actually, worked narratively. That's pretty funny. 
Yeah, see, they thought it all through. Uh, sorry to undercut your amazing philosophical point with Santa Claus, but I no, thought no, that, that was an important point. Obviously, the most important point is Santa Claus related. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure uh, that we did mention how that resolution came to be. The important thing, though, is what you mentioned. It's that wild ending that really draws us into where this show is about to go. And the reason that I hope that a lot of people will stick around, if you are a first-time watcher of this show, I promise you it's worth your time. Even if for whatever reason you're not feeling it, hang around with us, because we're just going to have an awesome time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, throw us in the back. If you've seen the show and you know it well and you love it, just throw us in the background while you're working. I'm probably going to do that myself, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, Lucas, something that I want to do at the end of these episodes is kind of pick our... uh, top character and Mm -hmm. what we're gonna do across the course of the season is identify who we think the strongest character is of the whole show but we're gonna give points out each episode so that we can do that mathematically because what is more fun than math is is that a real question i mean i'm a social science person so it is a real question because i could mathematically prove just how many things there are that are more fun than math (laughs) Well, I'm not going to let you. Tell and all me of them who- will be more fun than proving it. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, Lucas, I want you to reward two points to the character that you thought was the strongest this episode, and then one point to the character that was second for you. Um, I'm going to give my, my two points to Mabel. My prediction is that Mabel is probably going to win because Mabel's awesome. I might yeah. be biased. My bias might make that happen, but I'm still predicting it. Um, but, you know, Mabel, I loved in this episode because, A, we get grappling hook, okay? Oh, grappling. we almost glossed right over that. So that's yeah. super important. So exactly, okay? Mabel, everybody who doesn't know the show, Mabel gets a grappling hook, okay? Yeah, that's Grunkle important. Stan who has kind of shown to be kind of like a rude guy through the episode. He does have a sweet moment at the end where he gives Dipper and Mabel something from the gift shop, kind of honestly out of the kindness of his heart, which is one of the only times that we ever see that from him in the early stages. Uh, And Mabel, being the character that she is, just takes a grappling hook from the gift shop, which I will say, I think we can tease things, even though this is a non-spoiler episode. You will see the grappling hook again. Yeah. I think that that's fair to say. Um, But to me, what that's important is because it sets Mabel apart from other characters that we've seen like her in animation history. Even in this little episode, the way that her voice actress gives the performance and the way that her character is designed to be bubbly but adventurous and confident despite her lack of confidence and skill, which is kind of paradoxical. I hope I'm describing that well. But yeah, the point is... Mabel is very early on beginning to be created as a character that we have not really seen explored in the way that she is. We have tropes of characters like her, but I think the way that she does it has so much charm and character to it. And I think that the way that she interacts and the way that we have her whole plot line with all of the different boys that she's dated and, you know, she low-key was about to marry gnomes. I think that there's just so (laughs) much to that that it makes her character really shine stronger than than uh than anyone else and and i think that i'm mean, not that there's not everybody was given a lot of time because this is again a show introduction like if i could give the points away i'd give the points to the show itself but since we're doing characters i think i'll stick with mabel for for that one nice okay and then your one point character who who gets the runner-up trophy for this episode 
Schmegulak. Schmegulak, 100%. Oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> only because in the there is an end credits, an actual end credit scene, and it's of Schmebulak just puking up a rainbow for like a solid minute. And that, that to oh me, my god. if anyone has enough rainbow in their belly to throw it up for a solid minute, they deserve a point at least. You Okay, you genuinely surprised me with that response. I love it. <laughs> Hey man, I want to see Schmebulok in the top five. All right. Well, I actually also did get my two points for Mabel for all the reasons that you said. Uh, I love Mabel. Um, yeah. And she was just so funny this episode. And even though this plot of, you know, childhood romance normally wouldn't be fun, she just made it so much funnier and less yeah. cringy because of who she is. It's 100%. Like, even, though, even though, like, in a way her character is pure cringe, it's in a way that lets you in. <laughs> It's not in a way that makes you cringe with her. You know, you just laugh. You're like, oh, this is so funny. Um, what is happening here? Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's not real cringe, though. It's mocking cringe. Like, it's funny. If, if yeah. you'd seen it, if it was a real person in person, it would be actually cringe. But they cartoonify it in a way that makes it fun. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's charming. Yeah. It comes across as charming. Uh, and I gave my other point to Seuss. Because... Yeah. Uh, one line when when um he wait uh, let me say this again one line when Dipper is hopping on a golf cart to go into the woods Seuss gets him a shovel because I think that he asks and then he also gives him a bat just in case he finds a pinata so random oh, yeah. but That's right. I just laughed so hard at that moment on the first watch and then again I'm like I don't know why that gets me. So I, I I love Sue. I think mean, he's some really good comic relief that uh, breathes a lot of life into the show. So yeah. one point for I, him. I, I am I imagine I'll be giving Seuss a lot of points throughout this show. Lucas, uh, I thought I might share some insights with you from Journal Three. Things that we learned about the creatures of Gravity Falls that may not have made it into the show. Um, Tell me about it. Uh, so the original author of the book first found gnomes in their house one day arguing politics with a stuffed bear above the fireplace. A gnome stole their glasses and ate two of their cassette tapes. They question why the gnomes don't ever remove their hats, and they wonder, maybe they just have pointy heads. Do you ever think about that? Or they're embarrassingly bald on the top of their heads. Also oh, a theory. I, dude, I like that theory better. Yeah, we might add that to our journal. Just a little, little side note. Yeah, I think that's good. A little teaser for what we're about to talk about. Um, with the hats, gnomes are 10 to 18 inches. Apparently, the author saw them taking what I quote is a squirrel bath and wishes they could unsee it. What is a <laughs> squirrel bath? <laughs> you have a bath with a squirrel, Alec. <laughs> oh my god. All right. I wish that I hadn't asked you. Uh, <laughs> I can always rely on you to laugh that hard at your own jokes. Hey, I was laughing at your reaction, as far as anyone knows. <laughs> yeah. All right, the other thing that we need to note here... The answer is it's is... nutty. <laughs> so we just opened up Journal 3. But what yeah. you and I are going to do in the series, we're going to open up Journal 4, which Ooh. is <clears throat> our journal, the Hester Brothers, the Gravity Bros. So what this is going to be, we are going to bring in real creatures from our world. Real cryptids, I should say. Ones that some consider mythical, but Lucas and I, or at least I alone, at know least very Alec much, alone. <laughs> know very much to be real. Uh, you know how I know? Because I pulled their bios straight from the cryptid wiki. 
Remember, I said something earlier in this episode about doing research. I'd just like to point that, bring that up out of nowhere for no reason at all. Just saying. Lucas always harps on me to make sure I do proper research, but I was hoping that when we're talking about cryptozoology, that he wouldn't, but he wouldn't mind so much, uh, because the Cryptid Wiki is the ideal resource for this okay. segment. Just trust me on this. Trust I me. I just, I just want to clarify if anybody wants to do real mythology search, that this might be wrong. <laughs> There is no way that the Tokolosh, which I'm about to talk about, is not real. Would you like All to right. learn about the Tokolosh? My, my, if, if there's anything that I need to say for the audience to make their own life decisions, it would be pathetic and sad. I hope everyone's smart. Please continue. Great. I'm going to read you the Tokolosh's bio from the Cryptid Wiki. The Tokolosh, also called Tikolosh or Healy, is a small unknown animal appearing in Zulu mythology. This primate-like creature inhabits the nations of South Africa and Lesotho. It is said to be fast and somewhat ghost-like. It supposedly loves curdled milk. Its violent nature has put fear into locals, as some reports claim, that the Tokolosh will try to choke their victims. It is supposedly withered and gray and has long, bony fingers. It has a hole in its head and is small. Oh, I know this one. Yes, because we watched it on an episode of Destination Truth, a cryptid show, when we were younger. No, that's not why I remember it, but that's a nice oh. memory. I have a, ca a case of cards called Weird and Wild Creature Cards that I still have to this day that I've had since I was young. And it has a comprehensive list of like a whole bunch of dinosaurs, a whole bunch of uh, animals from different things. And there's a whole crypt, uh, there's a whole, I think they call them Monsters of the Mind section of them in the token i remember this yeah i remember yeah, I, can, I can see their little uh drawing that they did for it in my head right now totally okay so i picked the tokolosh because i wanted a creature that resembled the gnome in some ways as we create our own journal for i want to pick these cryptids that uh feel reminiscent of the characters that we're seeing on gravity falls um but don't worry we'll get into the nessies and the mothmans and the bigfoots of the world the the big hitters but for now just tell me, what do you think, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is the Tokolosh to really be roaming our Earth? I mean, it sounds like a lot of politicians I've heard of, so I'd give a 70% chance. What am I going this out of out of 5? Wow, okay. <laughs> Before the show, Lucas asked, hey, am I supposed to give a real rating or not? And I said, <laughs> do whatever you feel like, and I definitely regret that. Uh, you know, the only reason I say that is because when I had that little card, I do remember back then our mom saying like, oh, that looks like a particular politician running for president right now. And I was, <laughs> that's, where that, that's where that memory came from. So I'm, I'm relaying that. Uh, that's where that idea came from. Oh, that's pretty funny. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> cool. I was actually going to give it a very real uh, two and a half out of 10. I, I feel like this is something. Out of 10. Okay. Okay. Out of 10. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going yes. with. Yeah. Right. Well, 70% is out of 100, so that's the same as 7 yeah, out of 10. Yeah, that works. 7 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, they're politicians. See, the thing is, for you, this is all a joke. But for me, there are many real cryptids out there. So I take it very seriously when I'm going to be putting on a scale which ones I think are real or which ones aren't. Okay. Um, the main well, reason is that in my research, I couldn't find any like legitimate pictures or modern tales that could give any semblance of it being real. I think it's more likely that it is a myth that sort of got passed on oof. through history. See, I'm going to have an issue with these because if I do take it seriously, one thing that's true, something I've read in Native American philosophy when I was in college, is a lot of uh, mythology believes that a lot of these creatures exist on a different plane of existence. So well, the material evidence that we would want for something like Bigfoot 
you know, that doesn't really help because if you're thinking of like an alien, for example, that could be on a different dimension of a different plane of existence that we don't know about, it's hard to use that that circumstantial and uh, I guess you could say empirical evidence to rule something out um, because a lot of the mythology, but it sounded like the mythology didn't say anything about a different dimension. So I'm going to still rule, out, rule, rule it at a low percent if we're talking seriously. Lucas, I'm so glad that we're doing this show together. I, I'm yeah, I went, I'm going to go too analytic, everybody. You're going to find these. You will know if they are actually real based on my reactions. Um, Great. And Just like which, how the Cryptid Wiki tells us. Exactly. Yeah, I'm about as accurate as the Cryptid Wiki, probably. So <laughs> awesome. So, so you you should think that politicians are tokoloshes. That is what you should walk away with this with. I really wish I hadn't done this podcast with you. At the end of every Gravity Falls episode, there is a cryptogram, a hidden message. And if you are watching for the very first time, or honestly any time, uh, I would recommend having fun with it. Do the ciphers. Try to find out what the end message is. I am going to tell everybody what the message is at the end of every episode, just because I think it's an important part of the context that many of us miss. So if you want to solve the puzzle first, pause here and then finish. But the very, very first cryptogram that was left in episode one, Taurus Trapped, was... After translation, welcome to Gravity Bros. Just kidding. Welcome to Gravity Falls. Haha, uh-huh. he gotcha. I'll bet you I'm really just... thought or you really thought we were in the show there for a second. I, I see you. I'm looking at you right now. Audience. I regretted that immediately. To be honest, actually I had written I wrote it as it happens to be Welcome to Gravity Falls, which is a great segue for me to say welcome to Gravity Bros. I was no. gonna use it as a segue to end the show. But I actually looked at the second one first, and I was like, oh, I better turn this into a joke real fast. And now this is our outro. Thank, thanks for mixing it up there, bud. <laughs> great, great ending for the very first episode of our show. For real, um, thank you, everybody. This podcast yes. is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network, which has many other rewatches of shows movies on the Brazilian Dragon feed, as well as the Dragon Babies feed, the offshoot. You can find more of Lucas and I on YouTube at Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater. You can like our page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HB Cartoon Theater. And join the HBCT Discord to chat with other people about these Gravity Bros podcasts and anything about animation. The Discord is so fun. It's for cartoon lovers and everybody who likes talking about this stuff. So definitely check it out. All those links are in the show notes. Uh, but please feel free to leave five-star iTunes reviews. It will help more people find this show, which would be super helpful as we're getting started here. If you liked this, uh, series of those five-star reviews would mean the world. Normally on YouTube, we ask for subscribers and... Go do oh, that I on guess... YouTube also, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say, actually, I think that... <laughs> we're new to the podcast game, but I think that actually downloading the podcast helps too. Um, so, yeah, we'll get, a, we'll get a hang of it. We will. Thank you so much for anybody who got this far for our very first inaugural episode. It means the world. Uh, Lucas and I love talking about cartoons, and we're going to keep doing this for as long as you keep listening. 